Okay, let's pray. Very excited about this message. Uh, been deeply encouraging to me this week. And let's pray and ask God to meet us in, in his scriptures right now. Lord, come. You know how much I need you right now, Lord. Give me the heart that you'd want me to have and just clear my, my mind, Lord, and get rid of just stuff that, that shouldn't be there. And would you be magnified and would you speak through the word and would you come and have free reign right now through the scriptures in each of our hearts? Just like Dave prayed earlier, we want to say yes to your word even before we hear because we trust you, we know you. And so would you come and do a powerful work in each of our hearts now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. This is the Bible, God's Word. Okay? And this book says that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, if you're trusting Him, then God has made astonishing promises of what He will be and do for you. Amazing promises. Like he promises that he will always be rejoicing over you to do you good. Jeremiah 31. He promises that his steadfast love will never cease. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He promises that he'll keep you from all harm. He promises that his love for you will never stop. And the list just goes on and on and on to the things that God promises to do in his word. Now, if that's true, and it is, then what about those times when everything seems like it's going wrong? What about those times? What about those times when things in your life are going from bad to worse to worst? What about those times when you look around your circumstances and try as you might, you have a hard time seeing anything that you'd say is going well? You know times like that? And it's at times like that where we can easily say, You know, maybe God is keeping those promises for some people, but I think he's forgotten me. I think maybe he's forsaken me. Anybody felt that way? Last week I read uh, about Johnny Erickson. Many of you are probably familiar with her. In her teens, she dove into a lake, shallow part, unexpectedly broke her neck. For the rest of, I mean, she's, she, I don't know how old she is now, we're probably in her 50s, but she's been paralyzed from the neck down ever since. And during those first months, as a 16-year-old I think she was, she struggled mightily thinking God had forgotten her. She, I read this last week, she talked about a three-week period right after this happened when she had to have some surgery procedures and then to heal, she, she had to lie face down in what's called a striker frame for three weeks looking at the ground. And she said then, if that weren't bad enough, the way she put it was, she came down with this very serious flu, so she was paralyzed, face down, and for about a week, she thought being face down was bad enough, but she didn't, she she says in her her article, that was peanuts compared to trying to breathe when you're paralyzed and you're face down and the claustrophobia of that, just the whole difficulty, and those were dark times for her, right after that season. And you can feel can't you, how hard it would be for Johnny Erickson or how easy it would be for Johnny Erickson to think at a point like that, God may keep his promises to some people, but I think he's forgotten me. I think he's forsaken me. And I wouldn't be at all surprised that some of you are thinking that, struggling with that, uh, wondering about that right now. now. Maybe God keeps his promises to some people, but I think maybe he's forgotten, forsaken me. 
Okay, so what's going on at those times when things are going wrong? What's happening? Has God forgotten you? And if not, then what is he doing? To answer that, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 49. Beautiful passage that the Holy Spirit had Isaiah write to answer that question. If you need a Bible, yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. We want you all to have a Bible that you can look on. Isaiah 49 is on page 610. 610 in the Bibles we're passing out right here. Now last week we studied verses 1 through 7. And we listened in on a conversation between God the Father and the servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, talking about what God's plan is for the Messiah. And that conversation continues now through the rest of the, the chapter. And, and this, Isaiah 49 is written to be read by Israel at a time when she is in a very difficult place. She feels like God has forgotten her. She feels like God has forsaken her. And in this passage, God speaks strong words of encouragement to her. So in verses 8 through 13, God starts off talking about what he's promised to do for Israel through the Messiah. Okay, let's read these verses. Now, again, God is talking to his servant, Jesus the Messiah, telling him what he, God the Father, is going to do for Israel through the Messiah. I saw three main promises in verses 8 through 13. First of all, beginning of verse 8, God promises a new covenant through the Messiah, in the Messiah. Look at what he says. Thus says the Lord, this is God the Father speaking, in a time of favor, I, God the Father, have answered you, the servant, Jesus, the Messiah. In a day of salvation, I have helped you, the Messiah. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. So God promises to give the Messiah as a covenant to the people. Here's why that's so important. The Old Covenant had a problem. From Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, up through the Old Testament. That covenant had a problem. It did not come with heart-changing power. And so sin had filled the earth. The nation of Israel was departing from God following idols. And so sin was there. And so what God is saying here is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, He's going to inaugurate a new covenant which will come with heart-changing power. So now, people from the nation of Israel, as well as Gentiles from every nation, tongue, and tribe, will have their hearts changed, will repent of their sin, put their trust in Jesus Christ, be completely forgiven for all their wrongdoings, and come to know the joy of experiencing God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the result of this new covenant that God will inaugurate through Jesus. That's the first promise. Second promise. End of verse 11 through verse 11, God promises, I'm going to restore Israel from their slavery in Babylon, which is where they are when they're reading this. I'm going to restore you from Babylon as slaves back to the promised land in freedom. End of verse 8, down to verse 11. To establish the land, promised land, to apportion the desolate heritages, heritages, it's all desolate now, but I'm going to apportion that out, saying to the prisoners... Israelite slaves in Babylon, come out to those who are in darkness of slavery. Up here, they shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. This is describing the, the trip from Babylon back to the promised land. Everything provided for them. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. 
For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Okay, so Israel had been conquered. They were slaves in Babylon. Here God promises, I'm going to return Israel back to the promised land. I'm going to bring you back and provide everything you need on the way. That's the second promise. Third promise, verse 12, that through the Messiah, God will bring people to himself from every nation. See, verse 12, as you read it, it sounds like God has has enlarged his vision past just the nation of Israel, bringing them back to Babylon. Now he's bringing back people from every corner of the earth. So this is Jews and Gentiles, massive salvation. Look at verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene, which is south. Okay, so here are these three promises. Now, I just want to kind of put them in context so you get a feel of what's going on here. Since Genesis 3, sin had covered the earth. The darkness of sin was just covering the globe. And God raised up a nation, the nation of Israel, and says, through this nation, I'm going to pour out my love and pour out my favor and pour out my blessings, and they will just shine with love for me and joy in me and all the prosperity I give to them, and all the world will say, God is real, and God is good, and we want to know him. And so God raised up Israel, poured out his favor, but what did Israel do? Turned their backs on God, pursued idolatry, burned their babies to Moloch, and so just tragic covering of the earth with sin. And so before you read these promises, you can see that things look bleak for planet earth, but these promises show that God's going to transform planet earth. He's going to inaugurate a new covenant with heart-changing power, change the hearts of the nation of Israel, change the hearts of Gentiles, men and women from every nation and tongue and tribe. He'll bring Israel back to Babylon, bless them, prosper them there, and then he will send out the gospel and he will gather people to himself from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So there's this massive promise of world transformation, new heavens, new earth, salvation going to all the peoples, amazing work that God's going to do. And in verse 13 then, Isaiah like, it's like he stops writing about these promises and he just bursts forth into joy. Verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Yes, the earth is covered with darkness. God's coming. The Messiah is coming. Salvation's going to cover the earth. Mountains shout, skies sing, wonderful things are coming. So Isaiah's just like going off on joy here. Isaiah's very, very happy. But Israel is not. Israel is not happy. Why is Israel not rejoicing? Look at verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Why is Israel not rejoicing? She thinks God's forgotten her. She thinks God's forsaken her. And why? Because she is still enslaved in Babylon. Month after month after month of slavery. Year after year after year of experiencing the cruelties. Not only of living in a strange foreign land, but of being enslaved in a strange foreign land away from your home, away from the promised land. And so Israel is experiencing 
the cruelties of slavery year after year after year. And she's thinking, maybe God is faithful to some people. Maybe he's loving to some people. But he's forgotten us. He's forsaken us. And that's what Johnny Erickson struggled with, those, especially those three weeks as she was in that striker frame. And, and that's, that's what we all can struggle with from time to time. Right? I mean, maybe you have been praying for work and you've applied to job after job after job and had interview after interview after interview, but, but no job. And you could easily say, maybe God's faithful to some, but I think he's forgotten me. Or you've got a wayward child maybe who's just broken your heart and you've prayed week after week and month after month and year after year and no change. And you could easily say, I think maybe God's forgotten me. Maybe he's forsaken me. Or you've got an abusive husband or your wife has passed away from cancer or the different tragedies that can come. Or maybe you think about believers in North Vietnam who are in prison for their faith right now month after month of just horrifying conditions. There's times where God's people can think that God has forgotten, that God has forsaken us. And that's what God's addressing here in this passage. So the question is, has God forgotten Israel? Read verses 14 and 15 to see the answer to that. Verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me, and then God answers. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Has God forgotten Israel? God's answer is no. And to illustrate that, he brings up one of the closest human Relations between a mother and her nursing child. Can a mother forget her nursing child? We would all say no, absolutely not. Now God knows though that in a sinful world even that is possible. It is possible. And yet God says even if that's possible I will never forget you. In fact, in your Bible underline those last five words of verse 15. I will not forget You, I will not forget you. God will never forget you. Are you enslaved in Babylon year after year after year? God has not forgotten you. Are you struggling with medical difficulties week after week, month after month, year after year? God has not forgotten you. Is this trial going on and on? You're not sure you can last much longer? God has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. And then in verse 16, he gives an astonishing picture of what it means that God has not forgotten you. Verse 16, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So if you're trusting Jesus, we'll put this into the New Testament perspective now that Christ has come. What this means is if you're trusting Jesus Christ, your name is written on God's hand. Okay? Pearl limb. All right? Chris Keener, right? Scott Sachs, okay? Mike Lemoyne. Your name is right there written on God's hand. That, and, and what that means is that the point he wants to communicate is he's thinking about Israel. Your walls, 
Your broken down walls, your crushed down walls, your desolate walls, the, the tragic state that, that, that Israel is in, both the destruction of Jerusalem and my people being slavery, you and your need are continually before me. Which means that you always have God's undivided attention. You do. And you do. Now you're thinking, okay, but I mean, there's lots of followers of Jesus. I mean, don't we need to take a number? I mean, how does that work exactly? And okay, and God's infinite, right? And so because he's infinite, I think it's, I don't, I try not to do overstatements. I think it's absolutely right to say that you, each one of you here who are trusting Jesus, you have God's undivided attention. It's not inaccurate to think that at every moment God is giving you his full attention. So he's giving you full attention, Deb, okay? And Lynn, he's giving you his full attention too. And Chuck, you too. Okay, and everybody who's trusting Jesus because he's God. Is that, is that your picture of God? Do you understand that God's never like, I'll be, I'll be right there, okay? I just, no, 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 no. He's like, yes. I've been looking this whole time. I knew you were going to ask me. What do you want? I know everything's going on. God's always giving you his undivided attention. And then underlying that word, excuse me, compassion right there in verse 15, that she should have no compassion. The point of God's remembering the point of his engraving you on the palms of his hands, the point of your walls, your health, your unemployment, your wayward child, he's, those are always before him is that he's looking upon you with compassion all the time. All the time. Okay, now, the next question though is, uh, actually before we get to the next question, picture it like this. In fact, I wanted to get a chair up here just so you can see this. Let's say that this is you sitting in this chair, okay, with with terrible trials and difficulties. And then over here, there's these people, and and you look over, and everything looks like it's just going really rosy with them, okay? So it's really easy for you to think that God is remembering these people, they've got his compassion, they've got his undivided attention, and he's just kind of forgetting about you, right? Is that easy to think that way? But what Isaiah, what God wants you to understand is that God is totally remembering them and taking care of them. And in all of your difficulties, God is giving you his complete, constant, undivided attention. He is compassionately aware of everything you're going through, every need, every heartache, everything. He has not forgotten. He's remembering them. He's also remembering you. So my next question in this passage was, if Israel's still in slavery... And God is constantly thinking about them. If you're going through a medical problem and God is constantly thinking about you, if you've got job issues or financial pressures or whatever and God's constantly thinking about you, what's he doing while he's thinking about you with all of your difficulties? What's he doing? And the answer was not, I couldn't find it here in Isaiah 49, but I thought it was such an important question. I needed just to mention a couple things. Let me mention four things that God is doing. What is God doing while he's focused on me, on you, with compassion and love and care? There's four things. There's maybe some more, but these are the four that I thought of and gave you a scripture for each one. First of all, one thing that God is doing is he's right here is he's weeping with you. John 11, uh, 35. Remember that? That's where Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus and the bereavement of uh, Mary and Martha. Now Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he wept because he felt Mary and Martha's bereavement. He felt their weeping. 
It's really important that we not misunderstand what God calls us to do when we're going through hard times. He does not call us just to kind of put on a stiff upper lip and everything's fine, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, everything's fine. In the book of Psalms, there's numerous laments that are written. You know what laments are? They are expressions of sorrow, expressions of grief. And the reason Psalms, those Psalms of lament are there is because the Psalm is a prayer book for New Testament believers. And God wants us to be able to grieve and mourn when things are difficult. And grieving and mourning can be holy and can be before the Lord, especially when you know that he's grieving and mourning with you in in the pain that you're experiencing. And so as you are here feeling like he's forgotten you, he's saying, I've not forgotten you. You always have my undivided attention. And one thing I'm doing is I am weeping with you in your sorrow. Isn't that powerful? That's one thing. It's not all that he does, though. Okay. Second, he's ready to comfort and satisfy us with his presence. Psalm 34, 18. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you feel like, like well, that's me. Brokenhearted, crushed in spirit. Yes, there you are. You're brokenhearted, you're crushed in spirit, and God is near to you in that place. And his nearness, part of that means that he is ready to comfort, ready to strengthen, ready to encourage you with his presence. So he's, he's here, he's weeping with you, feeling with you, and he's ready to comfort you and strengthen you and encourage you. Psalm 34, 18. That's the second one. Third, he's enlarging your soul's capacity for joy in him forever. It should be 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. I think I might have put the wrong reference in the notes. Double check that. One of my favorite verses, I know many of us love this verse. Paul says that momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Momentary light afflictions are producing something for us. God's intention is that every trial he brings you is going to produce a greater revelation of God's glory forever. Momentary light affliction producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And so part of what God is doing here as you're going through your trial is he wants to work in your heart so that your soul's capacity can be enlarged so that forever you'll have even more joy in beholding God. This will just transform your perspective on trials. Uh, a few months ago, remember I shared about going to my eye doctor and, uh, and he ran this test and he, I could tell he was worried because my peripheral vision was like deteriorating. Ah. And he was trying real hard to be you know, I could tell he was trouble, and he, so we set up an appointment with a specialist, and anyway, we changed insurance, took a long time. This last Thursday, I went to the eye doctor for the further test. I thought, okay, this is it, you know. And uh, I stopped before I went in the door. I've been praying the whole way over. And, and I stopped and said, now, Lord, I know, help me to feel this more deeply, that whatever I hear now is going to be a gift from you. Either a gift, if my eyesight is failing, then the gift will be an enlarging of my soul's capacity to see you forever with greater joy than I ever would have known had my eyes stayed healthy. That's why God would do that, right? So either, if, that's what, if the doctor says your eyes are diminishing, I'm sorry, then that would be the gift. Or if the doctor says you're fine, well, that'd be a gift, obviously, right? 
And so I just try to pray, say, Lord, it's going to be a gift, or it's going to be a gift, help me to trust you. And, and the doctor said, there's, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. Your eyes are fine, which I was, I like that gift. Thank you, that's a gift. Okay, and I hope I would have said, I wouldn't have been as happy about it, but I would have said, help me see this is a gift too. But you see that every trial you go through, God is bringing you a gift. That as you set your heart upon him, your heart capacity for joy in him forever will be enlarged. I mean, many of you have experienced this. You can look back on trials and you can thank him for the trials you've had because I am closer to the Lord now because of the difficulty of that trial. And what's more precious than to get more of God? More closeness with him, more nearness to him? So that's the third thing he's doing. Then one more, one more thing he's doing. He is perfectly timing your deliverance. Psalm 31.15 says that our times are in God's hands. Do you realize that every second of your life is perfectly timed by God? Every second. God is never late. He's never early. He's always exactly on time. And so the fourth thing that he's doing here, you do know the deliverance is coming, right? Who shared that? There's an expiration date to trials, right, Ernie? Thank you, Ernie. Okay, there's an expiration date. That trial will end. Do you I mean, every trial will end. Do you understand that? It's going to end. It will end. It will end. And he is perfectly timing when it's going to end. It might be in the next five seconds. It might be 20 years from now. But it's perfectly timed to bring you the greatest joy and goodness and benefit in him. And so part of what he's, he's excited about the fact that it's going to end, that deliverance is coming, and he's got that perfectly timed. So there's four things that God does. That's what God does as he has our names on his hands. He knows exactly what we're going through. We have his undivided attention. He's weeping with us. He's ready to comfort and strengthen us. He's enlarging our soul's capacity for joining him, and he's, he's excited about the deliverance, and he's got it perfectly timed. That's what God does. Now, what do we do in the meantime? Back to Isaiah 49. In verse 17, through the end of the chapter, God enlarges on his promises of what he's going to do. The, your walls will be rebuilt. Your destroyers will flee. I'm going to bring you back, bring all the children of Israel back, multiply them, bless them. So God enlarges on the promises he's made. And so what God wants Israel to do is to set her heart on God's promises. Look at God's promises. That's what he wants them to do. And that's what we should do as well. I would encourage you, when you feel like God has forgotten you, open up God's word to precious and magnificent promises and read them and pray over them or hear them in a worship song maybe or home group people sharing promises, but hear the truth of God's promises in his word through whatever means meets you. Like Isaiah 41.10, God will strengthen you. God, come and strengthen me. Or Psalm 103.3, in his perfect time, in his perfect time, he will heal you. You know that every sickness is going to be healed, right? No, no, no believer is going to be sick forever, okay? Healing is coming. It could be in the next five seconds. It could be in glory, but every sickness will be healed. Psalm 103. He will provide every cent you need. Just set your heart on Matthew 6.33. He will deliver you. Psalm 50.15. In the meantime, he will satisfy you in himself that his presence is enough, John 6, 35. So the first thing to do is to set your hearts on God's promises. 
And the second thing is to, to wait for him. Look at the last line into verse 23. Those who wait for me will not be put to shame. Now we've talked about waiting on the Lord. Waiting means not just, you know, you know, kind of waiting. It means you're expectantly trusting in God to work as he's promised in his word. You're expectantly anticipating him to work. He's going to strengthen you. He will deliver you. He will help you. He's enlarging your soul's capacity. You're, you're waiting on God. And the promise is, those who wait for him will not be put to shame. Those who wait for the Lord will not be put to shame. No one who trusts in God, no one who's sitting here saying, I know you're... You have, I have your undivided attention. You're weeping with me. You're ready to comfort me and strengthen me. You're enlarging my soul's capacity. You've timed the deliverance. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. No one who's trusting God will ever be put to shame. Now, here's an illustration of this. I just, I love, I just love Johnny Erickson. She's just amazing, the things that she's experienced. What a gift to the body of Christ that here's a woman who's been a, para, a quadriplegic for decades, decades, Reading her article, I had no idea. There's all kinds of physical things you've got to deal with, and it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, in, I mean, inconvenient is such a measly word for what she's had to experience. Listen to what she says. Those who wait for him will not be put to shame. She says, one day, I'm going to leave this wheelchair behind. I cannot wait. I may have tasted the pains of living on this planet, but one day I'm going to eat from the tree of life in the pleasure of heaven. I get this next line. Then, in my new glorified body, standing on grateful glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior holding his nail-pierced hands. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. That wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. I want you to picture Johnny Erickson, okay? So here's God giving her his undivided... Today, wherever Johnny Erickson is, she's probably traveling somewhere taking wheelchairs to people in Africa. She's just doing amazing things. But today, Johnny Erickson has God's undivided attention. And he's weeping with her because it's difficult. And he's comforting her and strengthening her with his presence. And today, he's enlarging her soul's capacity for joy in him forever. And today, he's timed perfectly and is anticipating the day of her deliverance. That's what God's doing. And for you, if you're feeling like God has forgotten you, that's what God's doing for you too. So there you are. And right now, this moment, God has not forgotten you. You have God's complete undivided attention and he is sorrowing with the sorrows you feel in these trials you're going through he loves you he cares about you he's weeping with you and he's ready to comfort you with his presence and to strengthen you with his presence and to encourage you with his presence he's ready 
Call upon him. Ask him to help. He'll move in and meet you. And he is enlarging your heart capacity for joy in him. And he's excited about that because forever you're going to have even more joy in God beholding him because of what happens. The more you lean on him, the stronger you see that he is and the more your soul gets enlarged. And then he's excited about the perfect timing of when your deliverance is going to come. Because it will come. Your deliverance will come. So trust God's promises. Wait on the Lord. Anticipate him strengthening you. Get comfort in his weeping with you. Get strong in the fact that he's timed the deliverance for you. Take hope in the fact that he's enlarging your soul capacity in him. Do all that, and those who wait for the Lord in that way will never be put to shame. Ever. Now, a couple questions. What, what like, questions does this stir up in your heart? What, ah, how about this? Or did you really mean to say that? We'll find out. Any, any questions? This is so crucial. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Right? So we followers of Jesus need to learn about tribulation. We got to have strong, doctrinally based backbone so when terrible trials come, we don't say, I thought God loved me. He does. He does. He loves you. He's weeping with you. He's there to comfort you. He's designed this to give you even more joy in him and he's perfectly planned the deliverance. So we've got to have this, we've got to be grounded in this now. The time to get your theology of trials sorted out is not in the thick of the trial. That's really a hard place to get it all put together. Get it put together now. So this is so important for us here at Mercy Hill. We've got to get this and be strengthened in this. So anyway, what what questions does this raise in your mind? Any? Isn't it beautiful? I mean, don't you love the fact, did you all underline that? I will not forget you. Did you underline that one? Will God forget you? Never. Okay, let's stand. Here's what I want us to do. I want to pray, pray this over us. Actually, before I, go ahead and stand. If you are going through trials right now, come on up. Let's just be here in front. Um, I'm not saying that you've, you're all saying, I think God's forgotten me. If you think that, come on. But just if you're going through trials, be here. Because even if you're full of faith, we want to pray even more strength and encouragement upon you. So come on up. Trials, trials. Come on, come on, <laughs> come on. Acts 14.23, Paul, Paul's message to the churches he planted was, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The road to heaven goes through tribulations. So if you're experiencing tribulations, that might be a good sign about the road that you're on. Okay? Come on, anybody else? Don't be bashful. Okay, we're not going to do anything weird, too weird. Okay, now let's have prayers come on up. I want to make sure that everybody up here has at least one prayer laying hands on them, praying for them. So, so prayers come on up. Let's make sure that every person here has at least one person to pray. And I want us just to pray over them and ask God to work and uh, strengthen, comfort, encourage. You know, there's times when you go through trials when God will pour his... We need more prayers. We need more prayers, okay? So I'm not an official prayer. Nobody is. You are. You're all designated official prayers right now, okay? Come on up. And let's pray. Everybody got one? Okay, good. Lord, I pray that you'd come right now. The rest of you, let's just, you kind of me stretch your hands out towards them just to bless them. But we want to ask God to do a supernatural work right now upon each one who's here. So Lord, would you come right now by your power through Jesus Christ and would you bring 
your presence, your work in an increased way upon each one that's here. Come and do this, Lord. I pray that by the work of the Spirit in their hearts, they would know you're weeping with them. You're not there saying, get over it. You care. You suffer with our sufferings. You feel. So I pray that that they would know, that they would feel that connection with you right now. Give them that, Lord, I pray. Let, Let their sorrows be even further sanctified as they know that they're sharing them with you and that you are weeping in and with them. And I pray for just a powerful work of your spirit now too, Lord, to encourage them that you are near to the brokenhearted. You, you come to those who are crushed in spirit. And would you come to them right now and strengthen them with your presence? Would you pour your love into their hearts afresh by the Holy Spirit so that that, that, that witness of their spirits, that sense of your love would encourage them? would strengthen them right now. We just bless you with a fresh outpouring of God's love, each of you who are here. Lord, do that right now, I pray. Through Jesus Christ, a fresh outpouring of your love for them. Lord, I pray that you'd help them understand that this trial has been designed by you to enlarge their heart capacity for joy in you forever. And it's a gift. And that forever they will be thanking you for it because of the increased joy they're going to have in you as they worship you with the redeemed. So Lord, right now, let that give a sense of purpose, even with all the unknowns of you know what other good might come out of this trial, that they could, could rest themselves on that good that you've promised that will come through this trial. So Lord, let them be strengthened by that and, and be purposeful in the trial because of that. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them great comfort right now the fact that they have your undivided attention and that you are looking at them with joy, anticipating the moment of their deliverance. Whether it's soon, whether it's later, you are looking at them with joy and anticipating the moment of their deliverance. So would you impress that truth upon them right now that deliverance is coming God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. And you will honor me. He will rescue. The moment of deliverance is coming. Trust in the meantime. So bring your power, Lord, right now. Strength, comfort, your presence. And I pray for us here at Mercy Hill Church, Lord, that you would let us understand your purposes in suffering. Lord, set us free from the lie that if we're really following you, we won't suffer. That, that's so destructive. So, such a lie. Lord, free us from that, I pray. And give us doctrinal backbone so that when trials come, we'll suffer and we'll weep and we will lament, but we'll also know who you are and what you're doing in the meantime. And then, Lord, let us have great compassion for those in our home groups, those in our workplaces, those in our neighborhoods who are suffering, that we could love them, suffer with them, listen to them, care for them, comfort them.
help them. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Father, thank you for your compassion. Thank you that we always have your complete undivided attention because of what Jesus has done. So strengthen us in this now, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.